The following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome to the True Wealth radio show. And you know what day it is. Right? It's Taco Tuesday. And. It is Engageiversary. I know. It's like, what the heck does that mean? This is my chance to say, uh, so it's not our anniversary, but my wife and I got engaged on 050505 because I'm a numbers nerd. So anyway, welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show. Now, I will tell you, uh, so I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, right? Everybody knows that. But Katie, and everybody's like, what hasn't Katie chimed in yet? Oh, she'll be here. But Katie had to be in purgatory for a little while. Yep, Katie got trapped in bank jail. Okay, now if you don't know what bank jail is, it's, there's another cute name. It's also credit union jail. Here's how it works: you need to go through the drive up, and you get in line, and then somebody's in front of you, and then somebody gets behind you, and you are trapped. It's probably also like any drive-through purgatory where there's nothing you can do. And apparently they are moving slower than the speed of smell. So uh, after 30 minutes of organization to be unnamed at this point, uh, we'll see just how like fried she is when she comes flying in here. Because she'll be in here any second. But uh, it's not her fault. Let's all take it easy on her. And we love Katie. You guys know that. So look. Uh, we're going to talk about stuff today that is going to be, you said, speak of, she is here. Woohoo! You can sit here. Look, I'll turn your mic on. You are live. I fly low. All right. So still in the <laughs> distance. She'll get there. We, I already talked about purgatory. Oh, right? it's what I'm in right now? Well, no, you were oh. in, you were in drive-through purgatory. I, I'm telling you, I don't care if it's a pharmacy or a bank or what it is right now, but those facilities have not figured out yet to reallocate resources to make those more efficient than they used right. to be. And here's a little note to banks, okay? I just want to make a note to all of you banks out there. Compressing your hours and shutting your lobbies doesn't help with bandwidth. I realize this is like a really difficult concept here, but if you have fewer hours that you're open and... You try to do it during the period of time when nobody can get there. What do you think is going to happen approaching well, 4 o'clock if you're trying to close at 4? So I don't understand why the shortened hours. I don't either. It's like, okay, if you know that you have less staff working because you don't have to facilitate a lobby, for example, then why not have extended hours so that you can give more time to funnel everybody that used to go to the lobby through the drive through all right, all of you banking execs and CEO types, listen just up. saying, the you know we are your, we're the voice of the public right now, saying, come on, right, come on. Like I kind of feel like it's like, oh hey, well since you know we need to keep so many people employed or whatever it is right now, like we're gonna add an extra shift and open up an hour earlier and stay open an hour later. I don't even think it needs to be uh, whatever extra shift, however you do it. It's just one of those where I'm shrugging my shoulders, going people. Not helpful, right? right? Not. The, uh, you know, it, we. 
you can't go in the lobby, then you got fewer places to transact. You got to deal with those weird little tube things sucking stuff around. And I'm like, <laughs> it's not fast. And it's even creating traffic problems as everybody's spilling out in the parking lot or into the road and everything. I'm oh just going, my goodness. Got to be kidding me here, folks. There's There's got to be a more creative way here. There have been multiple times in the last three weeks that I have not done my errand because of the lines. Because I looked at the lines and said, never mind, I'll just come back later. Yeah, just punt. And it, now right. it seems like it's always. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. It's always. I've driven by at every hour that they're open. And it's like, oh, well, our hours are from you know, 9 to 4 now or 10 to 4. I'm like, great. So there's just a line, always. There's probably not at some point, and I don't get to see no, it. No, there is. But I, I got just bleh. <laughs> So, all right, that was okay. it. We complained so a little bit. So there you go. Well, there's there's Sorry rant number one. Here's party. rant number two. Okay. People, enough with the data jumping of the shark. Okay, like jumping the shark is when you just extrapolate and go too crazy with your your theory. Everybody's become an expert in things you're not experts in, <laughs> and everybody is looking what? at whatever data they want. Let me tell you a little data fitting. This is a little oh. thing that we need to know about confirmation bias. Okay. Yes. Like so you just they're, they're hear whatever you want to hear to say, you know what? I knew it. It's that's well, exactly what I thought. And you didn't look at the whole picture. Confirmation bias is seeking information that, that validates the point that you want to make. And it's driving me bananas. <laughs> Even with people I agree with, uh, I'm going to let folks in on a kooky little secret here. And if you haven't figured this out, you heard it here first, okay? okay? Why do you think there's so much divisiveness right now in media and all over the place in politics? Why Why do you think it's so divisive or divisive, like... depending on how you like to pronounce <laughs> it? Um, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a good answer. I feel like everybody's just slinging mud at each other and then like pointing fingers. I'll give fingers. you a hint. Okay. Political science. It's about poli-sci? About poli-sci. Okay. Oh, like trying to make the other, like ruining their reputation or trying to make the other nope. person look bad? Nope. You're. I'm, I don't under, I guess I don't understand. The, can you rephrase the question, Bob? <laughs> sure, certainly. <laughs> Sorry. So here's what's going on. And you can tell me I'm wrong. Great. But like if, if you have a bunch of, you have a bunch of media outlets that have chosen a team Okay, mm, that's true. And they've said like, uh, you know, and you can, you know which ones they are, right? right. And Pro they're either on your team or they're not. But they have an editorial tilt one way or the other, right? And then what happens is, you try to create enough anger around an issue, and maybe it's not through anger, but it's this divisiveness. The idea is it's emotion, enough emotion, right? The issue is about creating a single issue voter. Okay, I want you to think about this for a minute. How many of you get amped up enough that you know that, well, whatever that other person believes, they don't believe this thing that's important to me, so I would never even consider them? You know, they do that. I would say abortion is one of those that. Oh, is th a no, there's issue. lots of that's it. There's no, but I'm just saying, like, that's a good example of a single issue, right? Like, oh, he's pro abortion or they're against abortion. Yeah, then single issue. There we go. Voter. I'm going to vote for them based on that. Yes. And, and that is a political science strategy. So divvying people up, it's another another term for it these days is tribalism, right? Who is your tribe? Oh, Who do you word. identify Tribalism. With, 
right? So okay. we're, we're carving everybody into groups and it's either you're on this team or that team. And this team or that team is a way to tally people up and figure out where they go, right? And if you're not certain about whether or not this is happening, let me tell you, there are things that are happening. You haven't necessarily noticed it yet, but all this data that's being collected on us from all the various digital platforms that you interact with right. is creating a big picture of how you behave. And it will ultimately be a psychological model. If you can crunch through the gajillions of decisions that you make and what you click and what you don't and what's shown to you and how you respond and when, you start to develop a pretty good model for people's behavior. And then they actually get more accurate when it starts to do things like predicting how you will vote. And then they start to curtail the messaging and behavior from the various officials. Why do you think politics is so dang expensive, right? It's not yeah, about the people anymore. There was anymore. some statistic it's, I read the other day that said like they basically spend more time fundraising for their next election than they oh, do than actually they do legislating. serving. Yeah, it's it's sad. Which is nuts to me. Okay, who wants to hear my other crazy idea? You want to start a movement with me? Is it a crazy idea Tuesday? Let's go for it. Yeah, Taco Tuesday. Right? Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo and also engage anniversary. Oh, for you? Yes. Awesome. It right. was my 15 year engage anniversary. This for was me. my grandfather, Hank, my dad, Gary's father. It was his birthday. Cool. So, and it's also my nieces and my cousins. This is not <laughs> my birthday today. Haha. Ha. Ha ha. So lots of Cinco de Mayo birthdays. It's a crazy idea. Okay. And then we'll talk about, we got a fun topic for today, but I got to share the crazy idea with you first. Okay, crazy idea. Crazy idea. This is how we reinvent American politics. Uh-oh. I know. I believe that we should have a capitation on what people can donate. Okay, is it capitation? Because <laughs> that sounds like decapitation, like you're going to hack somebody's head off. Wow. Well, in a <laughs> sense, yes. I think there's a, uh, an amount that you can donate to a political campaign. I think all donations should be linked to a social security number for a natural person, right? So no business tax IDs, no weird stuff. You know, I agree that corporations can spend their money wherever they want to. Believe it or not, I think the Citizens United ruling was correct. But I think, in principle, it got us an outcome that we didn't want. What we want is an amendment, a legislative amendment, maybe even a constitutional amendment that says the money that's raised in politics comes from real people, and you can only give so much. And what this, in effect, does is it says it's now the vote for the people. It's not how who has the most dollars wins. It is who has the best idea for the people. I have a crazier idea. I think there should be an allotted budget per state. And then whatever the budget is and however many people run, they get divvied up. You know, it's... Because then everybody gets the same exact money to run on and the same exact campaign dollars. And then it's a level playing field. Yeah, except then you get, well, I because, suppose. Because guess what? Voters the reason, are... The, the reason voting... I like my idea, I'm just going to defend it. <laughs> is, I'm just going to defend it. Is, is because if you are doing a grassroots campaign and you're capable of doing large fundraises... But everybody has the same dollars. It means you had lots of people that agreed with you by right. nature, right? So it wasn't about manipulation or throwing somebody else under the bus or anything like that. You actually generated voter support. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. Is everybody had like the same amount of money. Like well, if it was I, state regulated, it was like, okay, the state of Oregon. But everybody would have access to the same amount. Right. You'd actually have to go canvas. You'd actually have to go meet the voters. Right. Talk to them, convince them right. that they could give up to their capped amount and everybody and you track it right look you get 
X number of dollars for your social security amount number. Then I think. Yeah, I'm talking like a hundred bucks a person up to oh, a maximum wow. like, okay, of five so you're candidates. You're really making them earn it. Yes, you're like, you got to knock like, on doors and kiss babies. Yeah, you have to go and get the money and raise it. You can't go to a soup, you know, form a super PAC or get Nike to chip in a bunch or go to unions and get a big block of money as a group. It's like no, you have to convince the voters that you have the right idea. Interesting. I'm kind of on board with your idea. So, and if we did that nationally, what it would be is. Everybody could buy the same influence. You make it a nominal amount that's capped, right? I mean, and if you want to take your idea further, I would say it's, you know how they have that little box? Click here to, you know, if you want to contribute to the presidential national Mm -hmm. campaign or whatever. Okay. Then give everybody a tax credit of a specific amount. Right. And if you go spend it on politics, you can. You can write it off or you get a credit on your taxes. It's going to be a refundable credit. And now you have, you get your voice. Right. Everybody else. Right. But the politician has to earn it. And they don't earn it by going to the biggest, deepest pockets. Right? right. It eliminates the billionaire from having more influence than you or me. Right. Well, and I think it goes back to, we really need to take a break. We're running way long here. I mean, we do, but but that's the but idea. But it goes back to the fact that Trump spent a fraction of what Hillary spent. Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't care. I, I mean, like, <laughs> honestly, I don't care. That's true. He worked the media and that all happened. But... I'm just saying, but if you you got to you, you got to take the money out of the politics. If you want to get rid of the tribalism, if you want news to be more down the middle and just reporting, they need to appeal to an audience. They don't need to appeal try to, to create a, a voting base, right? True. So there you go. That's how I want to save our political system, and I'll save the world that way. So you, help, you guys that want to start a movement with me, uh, you know, send us an email. Woohoo! To info at Little John FS. We got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the goods. You know what the goods are? What are they? Thinking like a financial pro. We got to change our mindset in this crazy economy. Let's do it. All right, stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Little John and Katie Shook. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to. Sing it Mayo and the True Well Show. <laughs> it took my brain a minute to catch up with your. I was like, what is he doing? Is uh, he writing a jingle? Oh, no, he's pretending to be a horn. Okay, yes. Got it. Uh, so. we, didn't, we didn't bring the um, the mariachi band in here. No, we should have had no. a mariachi so band in studio. Social distancing. We're not allowed in studio. I'll put them all six feet apart. <sighs> I don't know that we could. They'd have to be really small. <laughs> we uh, can't fit them in the studio. So, oh my goodness. All right. Today. How to think like a pro. Yes. Varsity day. Varsity. Right? Everybody's going to join the varsity squad. We're going to talk about how to change your thinking as an investor and also just sound financial thinking. Some of the mental mistakes that I see people make often okay, and how we can avoid those and how they can make you a better investor or at least a more aware investor, right? I guess I have to qualify that is that you will still have the capacity to make errors and dumb moves. Because you're human. Yep. And it happens. And and there's no amount of radio training that I'm going to be able to offer you, especially given the time constraints of today, that's going to be a magic wand. But- this is going to be a great starting point, and I want to challenge the way some people think because I think that the stinking thinking is what gets you. 
Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. All right. So how do we not do the stinking thinking and let's okay, go well, to varsity? Let's, let's talk about a few things that people do. Now, you and I did, we did massive show prep today. Massive. Massive. Huge. So, Katie, if I were to ask you, what do you? what is a mistake that you think that uh, we, we, one of the most common mistakes that we see in our office from in, investors in general? We're not going to, we will not name names. <laughs> what are the most common mistakes? Mm-hmm. I think people get very emotionally upset when the market fluctuates. Okay. I mean, luckily we do a good job about communication about that, but I think people call and they still kind of doubt the process. Even how many, how many describe this? Like they don't doubt us. I think they're just nervous. Like somehow people feel very responsible for what their account does personally. Okay. That's probably not the answer you were looking for. What was the answer you were well, looking for? No, I'm not looking <laughs> for an answer. I'm trying to figure out where the so, mistake in is words, in it because you're talking about like, so I, I want to know mistake. Mistakes. I want to talk about it like a, a little bit. We, we talk about it often, like emotions versus logic. Right. So right. if I, I go to the store and my favorite top is on sale, I think, woohoo, I just won. I saved money. Something's on sale. Well, if the stock market is on sale, that means that it's down. Right. And instead of people going, woohoo, the stock market's on sale. Maybe we should buy more right now. They're going, oh, no, the market's down. And somehow they feel personally responsible if their account's down money, even if it's with an advisor, even if it's somebody else is watching it and doing the right things with it. Okay. That's kind of where I'm coming from. So it's it's changing our logic, right? Like we wouldn't go buy something at the store and pay full price for it and then turn around and sell it at our garage sale for a tenth of the cost. And I think people want to logically get in with the, when the, like if they think something's doing really good, they try to get in when it's really high. And then. Okay. Now you've snuck one in there. Nailed it. Is that, and then like well, when it's going. So here's what's going on. Jumping and off the roller coaster at the top. I'm I, I'm going to try to reframe this a Please little do. bit. You know where I'm going with it. I do. But I'm not explaining it well. Well, you're you're explaining lots of things all at once. So I'm okay. going to kind of break them apart. Let's so do Just that. so we're, to be very clear, Katie's really accurate. What she's talking about is a behavior that we observe. What people do is they will make poor decisions because they get emotionally wrapped up in the decision. Right. Okay. And so one of the common mistakes that we see comes around timing of the market, which studies will show that you cannot time the market perfectly. I mean, it just, it doesn't happen that way. Right. So uh, we've talked on this program before about the difference between trying to time the market and having uh, intentional position sizing, when you choose to take on more risk or less risk, which are there elements to timing the market? Well, I suppose, but it's different than people describe. Usually people think of it as like, I want to sell right now. I need to buy all this later. Uh, we, you're not going to have a tremendous amount of success trying to time the market. But what our investors really hurt themselves is that when the markets are very high, they think it's going to keep going higher. So they think we should pile on. And that's when the market's at their riskiest. Right. And when the markets are really low, they feel terrible about it. And they feel like they should sell and get out because they're going to be low forever. And so then they want to sell low, which is pretty much the opposite of how you succeed in the markets. Right. Yeah. You don't buy high and sell low. You buy low and sell high. Correct. And it, it is hard when the markets are good and things are up for people to go, well, no, it's working. So yeah. I don't want to sell it. And it's like, no, no, no. Now is the time to sell it. Take your profits. 
and go right. invest in something that's low. So you and I were talking about that today. And part of it's because I was discussing a certain position in my portfolio and said, hey, David, what do you think about this? This is what I'm thinking about doing. Right. And, it's, and I misheard something. And I kind of looked at Katie like she had two heads. And she, no, 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 you misheard. OK. <laughs> no. So I pulled the, I, I, I will admit every once in a while, it's the, the difference between conversations between men and women. And I'm totally going to pull the sexist card on this one for a minute. I feel like there's so many thoughts going through my head at one time that not all of them make it out of my mouth. Right. I think. I think it, and so therefore I think I said it. And David gave me the, David gave me the, huh? And I was like, no, no, no. I meant to say all of this. And he went, oh, now I understand where you're going. Yeah, it makes more sense that way. (laughs) But my my, my head (laughs) jumped. You said my mouth isn't big enough to get all the thoughts out. And I went, accurate. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) Yeah. I had five thoughts right now, and only one of them got out the door. (laughs) Just just so I'm not picking uh, winners, losers, or anything else, but scientifically speaking, women have more neural connectivity than men. That doesn't mean it's like a higher IQ, but it means different brain wiring. So lots of thought bandwidth. <laughs> one of the best ways, so I know it's a side note, one of the best ways I heard it described, and it was out of a women's retreat for my church. And the speaker said, you know, women's brains are like spaghetti. We have all of these different channels that are crossing over each other and thinking all at once, right? Like there's just tons of thoughts. Like you could be folding laundry, thinking about what you're going to cook for dinner and be trying to answer a question on the side. And the, and she goes, I remember talking to my husband and, you know, we, he was watching basketball and she goes, honey, what are you thinking? And he's like, nothing. I'm watching basketball. Like all of his focus was on the one thing. And she goes, I just thought that was so weird. Like, what does he mean? He's not thinking of anything else because I'm thinking of five other things right now. And it took, it's like kind of just the difference between the way we're built. Um, mm-hmm. But that's why I was telling David, yeah, I had five thoughts, but only one of them came out of my mouth at that moment. It was the, it was the one that was the strongest trying to force its way out, but it's not always the most accurate or the yeah. one I wanted to share. But the thought, I'll bring this back home here, was about position sizing. Now, right. can I can I share the positions? Yeah, go for it. All right. So, I don't really care. Uh, now, let me preface this. We're not giving investment advice. Right. Okay. This is not about investment advice. But there were two interesting positions. One of them is a semiconductor and uh, tech processing type company uh, called NVIDIA. Right. Okay. Which has actually done quite well recently relative to the rest of the market. And, well, and, again, it was beat up. And and you bought it. And I up. bought it when it was beat up. And it's and it's gone up It's up 65% in my portfolio right, right. now. Right. And... The other position, and we were talking about how they've been hammered, is Disney. Right, which I love. Right, David and, knows I love it. Yeah, Disney's like a, a, a kind of a it's sacred a, cow. It's a sacred cow to me. <laughs> uh, and and I don't have a lot of stocks that are sacred cows to me. I don't know if I have any that are really sacred cows. It's an emotional grandmother thing. I've explained this. Yes. Okay. So at any rate. Disney is da- back down below $100 because they announced pretty significant losses on their earnings call. And so the futures markets are kind of, or the overnight markets kind of beating them up. And uh, Disney stock got down below 90 for a little while. It was in the 80s. And that's like a rollback of five or six years ago yeah. for price. Yeah. And if you think about the way companies grow, you know, Disney lost like multiple billions. Of dollars over in, the in last revenue. few months, just not having the parks open. So, what I thought I heard Katie say was, "Well, I should buy some more Nvidia," and I said, "I would think that right now Nvidia's had a really strong run. I would be much more interested in the Disney <laughs> stock." <laughs> and, and you know, I heard something different. And again, this is not investment advice. No, this was a conversation again, that we were having. The conversation we had was like, you know, don't you want to buy it on sale? And then she kind of went. 
No, that's what I meant. I was like, maybe I should take some profits and buy stuff. I was like, I did not hear that. I, I meant to say, <laughs> should I sell my NVIDIA and buy some Disney? Because I thought you so, said, should I buy more NVIDIA? And I was like, oh, really? I did. I just, <laughs> what I did is I cut my own sentence in half and left out the meaty part that you needed to hear. So again, communication, what you think you say and what you actually say are not always the same thing. So it's good to clarify when things don't make sense. Yeah. And we that did, one did got it worked out. <laughs> that one didn't make sense to David. But and it wasn't just that was position. It was another one. I had some extra in a mutual fund, too. And I said, should I? So, you know, kind of what would you recommend? And we were going over my portfolio. So it shows you that we eat our own cooking. Right. Like we, too. Well, yeah, for, for this specific example, this was something we do for our clients. Uh, back to the, I mean, thinking like a pro. Right. right. The first one is you've got to check your emotions. Right. That's what pros do, right? I mean, they, they rely on data. Let me tell you something. As a financial professional, if you believe that I am a robot and I have no emotions. You're wrong. You're quite wrong. You're quite wrong. Uh, quite wrong. What I have is really good systems in place and checks and balances and things that help me to stay clinical about the way I'm examining data so that I don't let my emotions run rampant because I experience them too. Right. It, it's a chance to gut check yourself. Like right. you said, like becoming a fireman, you have to train yourself to run yeah. into the fire, not away from the fire. Right. So in this industry, we have to train ourselves to not get emotional and train wreck stuff to do the opposite. And I probably to follow the system. I'm sure that I behave less emotionally than most of my clients. Right. Not oh, like yeah. a sociopath, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I have <laughs> about the emotions. The market. About the market. I have the emotions. But I, you know, yes, you train differently for them. So they don't raise my blood pressure the same way that they would somebody that, you know, they're kind of going, this is all, this is my life savings. This is happening right here. And some of that's experience. I think when you're new to anything, you get a lot more emotional. And you've been in the industry now for 20 years. Like you're kind of going crazy, right? But you're like, I've years. seen a correction or two. I've kind of learned it. I feel like the Allstate, was it Allstate commercials? I've seen a thing or two. So I've done a thing or two like it's i don't i don't remember i don't there's watch some, much television i know so. there's an insurance commercial anyways i, I do but, have some gray hair though i can now officially say like <laughs> look i mean wisdom that's how that is right <laughs> is that what it is should i, I stop dying mine i always it- like that term i think it's a biblical term the silver crown of wisdom oh yeah i like that term so that is oh, look, i've got a little uh you know Wisdom and pepper in my hair. <laughs> so when I pointed out to my children, see this? It's all that wisdom, I Look guess. Look how wise you wise acres. See what you're doing? Oh. <laughs> so it's yeah, taking the emotion out of it. And and but again, not not I wasn't emotionally attached to any of those positions. So we had a very logical conversation about is it time to sell the winners to buy some of them that are losing right now because I I believe that they will rebound. Right. So that was a biggie though is the the first step in thinking like a financial professional, like probably the first step is to check the emotions. So you, you got, I mean, you got there. Right? I got there. And, I, was, and, yeah, I was very non-emotional about you, it. Well, and, and when we were talking earlier about you understand when I was saying, what do you think is the number one thing? And you said, well, I see people do this, that, and the other thing. And what you're saying is people get emotional and then they do things that are self-destructive right. unintentionally. Right. So how do you stop that? You pump the brakes on the emotions. And there are a number of techniques. We don't need to necessarily get into those on the show because there are some other things you need to do to think like a pro, like taking a break so that we can come back (laughs) on the other side of it and tell you more of these tips because I want you thinking like a financial pro too. Uh, We'll improve the decisions, but we got to take a break. So stick around. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN.
This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, welcome back to the True Well Show, ladies and gentlemen. Delighted out here. Your voice just goes very white all of a sudden. This <laughs> is like, ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to yeah. rumble. All right, so. Let's get. <laughs> those DJ days, you know. You would have been a really cool wedding DJ. I was fun. You would have been. You just would have been fun. I get I, it. I had I had lots of fun. I you know I even did like wedding planning a little bit because when when they were budget weddings and they didn't know what they were doing they just I just need a detail. I'm like, well, did you think about all the other stuff? And they're, and they're like, like no. no. <laughs> like, okay, well, let me go. Here we go. We're gonna lay it out. There. Right. I know. I kind of got into that biz a little bit too with the wine industry. All right. So we're thinking like a pro. Thinking like a pro. Checking our emotions at the door. Number two thing to do if you are thinking like a financial pro is you miss your barber. Oh, I know you miss your barber. Oh, yeah. Can we? Can Dear we get, Alex, please I cannot, come back to work. I'm excited <laughs> for the day that uh, the hair garage reopens. Cause da- da- David's getting a little fluffy on top. A little fluffy? <laughs> okay. I I have an encroaching hairline. Okay. Some people have receding hairlines. I understand. At this stage in my life, I have an encroaching hairline. I'm in danger of becoming Eddie Munster. <laughs> David, it's, in like two more weeks, you're going to have to like rock the flock of seagulls. Like you're just going to totally have the full on wave. I am on my way to a mullet right now. <laughs> it is out of control. And I'm usually, a, I'm like usually good for like maybe a one or a two guard on the sides. Like, so these, those of you that know the clipper cut rules, like I like a high and tight haircut and this thing yeah. is just. Alex, you don't come back soon. He's going to be like. My hair grows pretty fast. <laughs> he's going to be army enlisted soon. He's yeah, just going to go shave it. Pretty fast. And I'm, I'm going full grown mongrel here. So, okay. So that's not really financial t- pro thinking number two by the way it's there's a lot me- of women out there that agree with you and a lot of men that are like please just come back t- why is that not essential <laughs> well i don't oh. i don't know all right so how to think like a pro varsity style tip number two tip number two so we talked about check your emotions tip number two is about what we call anchoring bias okay this is how do you frame a decision Okay. Okay. So first you check your emotions and then when you frame the decision, what a lot of people do is they look backwards at all of the data and then they forget to look forwards. Okay. Oh, this is true. Okay. So are we talking about like the emotional... Um, it's, it's linked to like a stock or something like how you feel about it. No, not really. Although that well, it's relevant. It's relevant. Okay. But, uh, what I'm talking about is. We, we look backwards because you want to get a sense of what the data has looked like. You know, how has an investment performed historically? What changes have been made that we expect will make things better or worse? What are the economic conditions back then compared to where they are now? And then we start to think about where we think everything's going to go. And that's usually how analysts are trying to do, build projections, but that's what analysts do. They build projections and then they determine, is this an attractive investment? But what I see a lot of non-professionals do is they look backwards and say, it's been a really good investment, therefore it will continue to be, be a really, a really good, good investment. investment. Yeah. Or it's been terrible, therefore it will continue to be terrible. Right? That's true. So they're not looking at where it's going, they're looking at where it's been. And driving in the rearview mirror only works if the road is straight. True. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a big hangman's curve coming up, guess what? Right. You're going to end up on the wall. So um, I, I was thinking of the time that you described, you know, like if you bought a stock 
and paid $20 for it, you know, and then it went down, but it came back and now it's up to 30 or like if let's say it so went down. I get I know the scenario, yeah. right? Okay, so like you bought it's a stock. It's the sale proof stock, right? Right. So it's like, you know, and then now it's back down to let's say 18 and you're like, "Well, I can't sell it cuz I paid 20 for it." Yes. What what'll happen is people will they'll buy something and then that becomes their anchor, right? right. That's your point of reference. And so every this is kind of like living back in high school. You know, like, I remember when I was the quarterback and this, that, and the other, and you never move on to today. And everybody's like, look, that was, uh, that's great. You were the quarterback. Now what? And you're like, well, let's talk about when I was the quarterback. Yeah, now like, I'm the armchair quarterback. Okay. <laughs> so we need to kind of move along a little bit. We can remember that. The glory days are great. But, but what about now? And what, what folks will do is they will buy something. And then if the price drops, they will say, well, I can't sell it now. I've got to wait for it to get back to what I paid for it. Right. And then when it gets back to what they paid for it, a lot of the times what people do is they say, well, I'm not going to sell it now. It's making money. Yeah. It's like they made it sale-proof. Like they're never, ever going to sell it because they're too emotionally yeah. attached to the value that and it was or if purchased it's, it's, for. And it may not even be an emotional attachment. It's just that's the the anchor right right and you don't realize you're doing it and that's why i tell people looking backwards is great but the way you make decisions is to say well i can rem- i know all the stuff i know historically but if i'm looking at this now and i didn't already own it would i still buy it right right that's the trick is is it a good investment today right and and do i expect it to be a better opportunity cuz here's what i'm seeing right now I'm seeing decisions where folks have losses because the stock market has not been a fair playing field, or it's not been a level and equal playing field, at least. No. There are winners and losers in this economy. By the way, I want to bring up something that you say all the time. Okay. And it sounds backwards. Sell the winners to buy the losers. Sure. And people are going to be like, why would you sell a winner and buy a loser? Wouldn't you want to sell the losers and buy the winners? Yeah. Well, you usually you trim the winners is what you do. But, you know, you don't necessarily have but to sell them But what do you mean out. by that when you say things like that? Well, because that sounds really confusing and people are going, no, he meant it the other way. He just said it wrong. Nope. You sell the winners to buy the losers. Because the winners, and again, you, you got to look at this on a case-by-case basis as to, to why and what your investment Right, so this is, is not investment advice. But the idea is that the winners have done well. If they've outperformed the market, then statistically speaking, there's a probability that there will be some kind of pullback if you have what we call mean reversion. Okay. okay? Now, it, it kind of depends on what your objective is, but occasionally, if you have a strategy where you're supposed to own 10% in a particular category, and that category has performed well and ballooned up to 20% of your holdings... You're overweighted. You're no longer balanced the way you intended. So you sell it back to the 10%. And then go buy something else. And then you else. use the, what, the, the, the liquidity that was created to buy the things that were underweight because they are presumably on sale. Right. Now, this is something that works really well when you're indexing, meaning that you're not trying to buy individual stocks. You're trying to buy the categories. Whole thing. So like all of the because, S&P 500. Because, hey, you know what? Uh, Europe is underperforming and the United States is outperforming. Well, then you sell the United States when it's doing great and you buy Europe when it's doing terrible so that as the global economy rebalances with time, if you believe that's to occur, then you bought Europe on sale and, and you sold America later. when it wasn't on sale. Right. You know? So that's the idea is well, to the, rebalance into strength. The th- when I was talking to you earlier about my portfolio, some of it was like, have I taken all the gains that I really can take right now? Right. Like, do I think it's going to keep climbing to infinity or do I feel like I bought it at a really good time not so long ago and now it's worth 
a lot. And like now is just the time to take my wins, like just pull my wins off the table and go buy something else and try it over again. Right. And so here's where I'm cautious about that. Okay. We're still, we're, since we're thinking like a pro. Right. Okay. So I'm throwing out ideas and having yep. David and t- tell you what's going on. And the idea is that simply picking a point to say, well, that's done really well. I better sell it. Okay, that's like a superstitious sell. Okay. Okay. It's superstitious because you're saying, well, aren't we just due? I mean, it's it's doing done so well, we better sell it. And I wasn't yeah. necessarily going from that standpoint. It was more that I'm like, hey, you, Apple stock in the '90s. That would have been like, oh, bummer, right? Because right. <laughs> because Apple stock used to be super cheap, and now it's super not cheap. It's like the largest stock in the S and P, and right. So to get so, out of it at any certain time. So you look at this and you go, well, um, <laughs> it, it, you don't sell it out of superstition. You sell it because. It either no longer meets your investment objective. Okay. It no longer meets your risk parameters. Okay. Or because you think there's a superior investment opportunity elsewhere. Okay. Okay. I mean, those are the primary reasons that you sell. So you don't sell your winner just because it's a winner. You sell your winner because you think that there's a it's better opportunity. It's not going to outperform other things and you want right. to go buy more winners. And that was. More or less, the question I was asking David earlier is, I have this winner. Should I sell this winner to go buy something that I believe in that I want to buy? Right. And there was a rationale. Remember, we talked about what those were. And one of the things is, and again, this is theory. This is not investment advice. I'm just warning you. The the theory of, well, a lot of technology stocks have been bought up in an economy that is arguably shrinking right now perhaps really badly. You know, unemployment's much higher. We're starting to see material disruptions in the supply chain, shortages of goods and services that you want to be able to get access to, right. and you can't. Right. Okay? So the economy is experiencing damage, and yet parts of the stock market to continue to go up. Well, why would you see uh, semiconductors go up? Well, for one, everybody had to buy computers to work from home. Yeah, I heard some of them were sold out in places. Oh, yeah, you can't get a hold of this stuff. So there was shortages, and the supply and demand just skyrocketed, and supply couldn't keep up. So price shifted up, and those stocks followed suit. Right, Okay. because um, they had better PayPal. earnings. PayPal hit an all-time high today for the stock. <laughs> that doesn't surprise it, well, me. Well, think about all the digital transactions online right now. Right. And that makes sense. And how many digital marketplaces. Okay. Meanwhile... Uh, we're looking at, which I was just teasing, Norwegian Cruise Lines is on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah, because nobody's allowed to travel right, right well, now. And, and the question is, are they bankruptcy like the company doesn't survive at all and they're just gone? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it could be that you could buy it super cheap right now and it comes back. I don't know. And I'm not advising on the radio, so don't get all cute with me here. But I'm telling you. We're that's telling the you kind to talk stuff, to your advisor. And that's if you the don't kind have of stuff one, that us. a pro has to think about. And... I think that technology makes a lot of sense that it's continued to go up. Amazon makes sense. Costco makes sense. Walmart makes sense. They haven't been shut down. In fact, everybody was funneled to them because everybody else got shut down. True. Right? So they got uh, almost an unfair economic advantage in this environment. True. You know, and then meanwhile, locally, Pier 1's gone. Right. Okay? So um, Pier 1 shuts down, JCPenney's on the verge of bankruptcy, and Walmart's killing it. Costco's killing it. Are we going to lose our marshals? I doubt it. I hope not. I doubt it. <laughs> we need to shop, people. Open up. We need to go. We need some retail therapy. Oh, there is retail therapy in the <sighs> cards for many. So I, I feel you. Uh, look, we got another. Break we do. To take. Let's do this. Let's take our last break. I will. 
presume that the music is playing right now because can't I can't see the headphones. <laughs> so uh, we'll just say, like, good job. And uh, look, we'll be right back. We are going to continue talking about how to think like a pro right after these important breaks. This is David Littlejohn. I'm Katie Shuck. And you're listening to The True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. <laughs> There's like a shellac in there. I'd be like, you're right. <laughs> we just looked in a coffee cup that somebody left in the studio. I didn't know that coffee grounds could reese, like, like, Solidify. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's as if the coffee that was at the bottom has turned into like part a of coffee the cup. glass. It's yeah, part it's, of the cup now. It's just. If, you're, if you think about your teeth getting stained, what if you just your teeth enamel became coffee? Oh. That's like that mug. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I can't unsee that. No, sorry, so I had just, to share. Yeah, now <laughs> it's I'm on just my like, side. Ugh. I had to share. Ah, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How long has that been sitting there? Day eighteen. <laughs> I guess so. Like it's. All right. Uh, so how to think like a pro? Carbon date that coffee. <laughs> Let's not carbon date the coffee. How to think. Like a pro. Let's go varsity. So we were talking about our emotions. We were talking about just so, changing yeah, our yeah. frame of thinking. Right. So first of all, don't make emotional decisions. And then we talked about how you need to the look both backward, but also look forward for making your decisions. Right. So right. don't get Not stuck. Not all in the rearview mirror. Don't don't get stuck in a in what we would call a series of biases. One of the biases is the anchoring bias, and that's locking onto a price that you pay for something and making everything relative to that point. Okay. Um, another would be what we will call a um, confirmation bias. When well, we talked about that earlier in politics, but the reason we use it in politics is because it's also appropriate investing. It's when you start to want to make a case that something has to happen the way it does, and you discard all the contrary data. Right. I just want the stuff that confirms what I want to believe. This stock's going up. I got all the research. Uh, let me tell you who what I saw a lot of around this one, and there are a handful of you who are going to roll your eyes. Okay. Marijuana stocks. <laughs> everybody came to me, oh, they're going to make so much money. I mean, everybody's going to want them. It's going to be legal. It's going to be incredible. <sighs> That's been a sinking ship for many people. Okay. I mean, there's been a lot of pot stocks that went in the in the dumper. So- uh, and and everybody came to me with like, nope, it's going to be amazing. I got to get in this, that, and the other. And I would just kind of roll my eyes. So I'm like, there's like a billion suppliers. There's only a handful of states where it's legal, and still federally illegal. Yeah, and they're saying like, oh no, it's the, not just to get high. It's the CBD, the this, that, and the other. Yeah, the problem is there's like a million suppliers. And that one too, there's no rearview mirror to look in, right? So at that point, it was speculation. It's it was total like, speculation. It's a brand new thing, and and people that chose to do it, you just kind of said speculation. Yeah. So that that's the issue is that we will see people that, you know, you'll do uh, the confirmation bias. The other one is cognitive dissonance, right? That's the idea where you get two things that are in conflict. And so you just kind of throw your hands up and ignore your ignore one of them. Like you literally just ignore the data that doesn't prove your or point. Or ignore both and not do anything. Well, you know, if you do nothing, as long as you don't own it, at least it doesn't harm you, right? That's the good news about investment opportunities, too. This is something I think people sometimes flip out in terms of urgency. I like to describe uh, investment opportunities kind of like water moving down a river. Okay? okay. At some point, you jump in and you start to go downstream. Now, periods like right now, the water's very choppy. Oh, it feels like a level five rapids. Yes. 
and not always will it be that way. Okay? Right. But opportunities continue to come. The economy keeps reinventing itself and new opportunities find their way in. As one opportunity sort of gets uh, the, the competitors and the, leg- the, the environment for that opportunity just sort of fizzles, then something else comes. Right. And so there, there have been countless, you know, generationally new ways to create wealth all the time. So it's always new opportunities coming. So you can be patient. You know, uh, it's one thing to realize a loss. It's another thing to miss an opportunity. There will be more opportunities. True. Okay. So now thinking like a pro, here's one of the things that I think people don't necessarily do well. And this is just a mental framework. Okay. The framework of thinking of what you're doing as trades oftentimes. Okay. Uh, This is probably a dieter's conundrum. I really want to eat that chocolate. Well, you can have the chocolate. You're just trading it off for the time toward the successful outcome you're looking for. If you're trying to run a calorie deficit to lose weight because you want to be thinner and you eat the chocolate, you You just just have to know I made the trade. I traded my time and I traded this, the diet success for the chocolate. Right. Uh, this is hard because if you are an addictive personality type, you don't tend to weigh the trade at all. You just do. You know, it becomes an emotional decision rather than one that you think through. Everything from let me supersize my meal and get too many french fries to how am I spending my time? I would rather go do something unproductive instead of productive why are you watching the bubble come bubblegum tv instead of you know reading about a self-education self-education to become more valuable right you know why and so we always make these trades you know i make trades all the time why am i spending time with my kids instead of going to the office it's worth more to me right like i mean i'm okay with that i actively say like it's not all about the money but vice versa why are you going to the office right now when it's covid right because the trade is that there is a balance. Actually, too much time with my kids, and sometimes I, I want to climb the drapes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and too much time at the office can also make you too right. stressed out. So there so, is a, there's a balance to this, but the reality is that these balances are each little trades. Every right. time I make a financial exchange, I'm trading one thing for another. Right. I make time exchanges. And so I like to tell people that uh, wealthy people think like a they've got a little taxi meter running as mm-hmm. they are making these different trades. And then they also realize that sometimes what they're doing is they're buying leverage. Right. Okay. So buying leverage is, why do I have somebody else mow my lawn? Because it gives me time to do something else. I'm trading that to to open up another opportunity elsewhere. So I encourage everybody to think about how you make your trades. Oh, there you go. Right? Try to eliminate more of the emotion from the process. Look both forward and backward. Be aware of your own biases and shortcomings in how you analyze data. And you are well on your way to thinking like a financial pro. Varsity squad. There you go. Well, there you guys go. And as you can tell by the music, we are nearing the end of the show. Like really near. So at this point, uh, Katie, how do they reach us? Call the office, 541-375-0898. Check us out at littlejohnfs.com or shoot us an email. Either way is totally fine. Yep. And so the digitals, all of those, we're happy to hear from you. Uh, but uh, until next time, I will simply sign off. This has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN.